Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Again, my name is Matt. If we haven't met, um, great to be with you all this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series through Isaiah and the prophets. Um, but before we do, um, I've asked uh, Chris and Alex uh, to just share a little bit um, just about what God's been doing in your life over the last couple weeks. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, a lot. <laughs> Definitely. A, yeah, it was quick. That was it. That's it. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. <laughs> Powerful. No, we had, I think the hardest thing was just trying to figure out what to share. Um, so if I get, if it looks like I'm getting emotional, just know that it's just allergies right now. Um, allergy season. <laughs> no, so this started about, th- I'd say three, four weeks ago. It's probably when it, when it started about that, right? Longer? A little over, double, let's double that. Um, you know, God was starting to work on us. Uh, but I, I'm going to share one story in particular just because there's so much in, in the two months leading up to this. Um, you know, God just revisiting callings, um, revisiting words he's spoken to us, and just really solidifying why we're here. Um, if you guys don't know, just really quick, we're, uh, we're actually originally from Florida. Um, we moved here, what, three years ago now? Yeah, three years ago. Um, vision she had nine years ago that, you know, we basically... We were at a, uh, part of a church plant, um, and God just basically, in the middle of it, just said, move to Spokane, and we packed up our bags, moved here, never been here in our life, don't know anybody here, and we ended up here, and obviously, you know, moving that far from literally the opposite end, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can get much further other than Alaska, um, you know, we had a lot of questions being here, and, and the, just the confidence, I, I would say, was starting to wean why were we here? Why did you call us here? What's the purpose? Are we supposed to go? Should we, should we stay? All those questions were, were really boiling up probably about two months ago. And um, he slowly started answering, you know, prayer after prayer. And, you know, a couple weeks before this conference, we, uh, we talked to Matt and just about some, some things that God was laying on our hearts and we were getting a lot of confirmation. Well, speed that up to the conference and we ended up, um, we ended up going. Um, we really felt like God was leading us to go to this conference. So we were going expecting, I, I was going and expecting that God was going to do something. Um, but I didn't think it was going to be what he did. And I love how God does that. He never, he, he doesn't, he, he always wows me. Even, even in the things that he tells me he's going to do something, hey, I'm going to break through. Even how he breaks through ends up uh, surprising me every time. So long story short, I ended up you know, going to this conference saying yes. Um, I, I went in with a lot of preconceived ideas like I always do of how God's going to meet me and how he's going to do it and, you know, make sure it's orderly and exactly how I want it. And he didn't, he didn't do any of that. He broke all the rules. And uh, so as we were in this conference, I, I, like I said, I have a lot of, lot, lot of guards up um, in regard to how God moves and within the supernatural and uh, the charismatic movement. I've had a lot of um, bad experiences, even though I've been in the charismatic movement for uh, 10, 15 years. Um, so going into this conference, I already knew, you know, I, I've been through hundreds of fire tunnels. I've done all the, I, I've done everything you can do in the charismatic community. So I thought I checked everything off the list. And um, as the conference was, was going, he specifically was talking about strongholds. Um, and, and, you know, again, I, I, I was like, well, I know there's probably some things that God can do in me, but I, I, I think I'm, I don't think I'm there 
but I didn't think I needed an, an, an overhaul. And he asked everybody to go up to the front. This is what Mark, Mark DuPont. He asked everybody to go up front, and um, I, I went. Now, I'm not saying reluctantly, but I definitely was going up there with, you know, I'm going to make sure that I don't step in the way. Uh, you know, so I went off with my checklist, make sure you don't get emotional, Chris, even though I'm not an emotional person, but just check, you know, just checking. No emotions, uh, make sure, you know, nobody's, nobody's pushing me over, you know, and I've had those experiences before, like fall over. <laughs> uh, so I'm up there, and I'm just praying and I'm just like okay Lord like search my heart and part of it was you know there, there are strongholds in our life and go up there and just you know just be before the Lord let the Lord reveal what those things are and he revealed intimacy and, I, and he just, all, I, all I heard was just a word intimacy and I was like intimacy and I was like eh. not that there isn't a, a background to it one of the problems I have is I don't cry my wife can uh, attest to that I've, I've I, I, I don't cry so much that it, it actually can be awkward at the times I don't cry I don't know if anybody experiences that um, but that's me, where it's like everybody's weeping, and I'm the guy who's like, man, I can't force this stuff out, you know? Uh, and, and he says intimacy, and all of a sudden, I start weeping. And I've never cried in front of people like this ever in my life. And I start weeping, like nasty crying. And uh, I'm, the more I'm holding it in, the more it's coming out. And I'm like holding my head like this, and people are coming over to me, and they're praying for me, and giving me words, and they're looking at me, and I'm like, please stop. <laughs> You know, so part of my interceding was like, Lord, just like let these people pass, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't. And uh, I kept crying and weeping and weeping and weeping. And he just kept bringing people to mind, which was interesting is he said intimacy. And then he kept bringing up people that I thought I forgave that I didn't. Um, and then the list just kept going. It's amazing how that happens. You know, you're like, I don't have anybody to forgive. And then it's like 15 minutes later. And I'm like, and then Dan and then Pete, you know. Um, but it just kept happening. I kept going through these people and really just releasing them. And, and I'd like to tell you there's a big, like, you know, I mean, I think that's a pretty decent climax. But uh, after that, literally, I walked away. And all I can say is I just literally felt like a different person. Um, I mean, I'm crying, you know, during movies now. No, that's not happening. <laughs> um, no, but I, I definitely, I, I know there's been a change. And, and the best way to explain it is I literally felt, and I kept telling her, I was like, I felt like there's, like, I've been revived. And I don't want to use the, I know we've been talking about kind of revival and things like that. But I really feel like that occurred in me. Um, and, and the best way to say it is it just, it, it was, it happened. It was like a light switch that just turned on. And uh, yeah, I'd say that's that. Pretty solid? Okay, that's good. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass it to the better half now. Okay, I'll make mine a little bit shorter just because you touched a lot of things. But um, for the last few months, even further for me in particular, I just kind of felt the Lord stirring a lot of things in my heart. And I had walked some really dark seasons since we got here. Actually, the darkest three years of my life happened after we moved to Spokane. So I definitely questioned the Lord, why did you move me 5,000 miles away from my family? And why are you crushing me? So that was definitely a question in my mind. But I was kind of checking off the boxes. Like, I'm like, okay. I need to go to therapy. I need to, you know, talk to my friends. They need to be in prayer for me. So I was doing all the things that I could do, and it definitely was helping. So I was like, okay, I feel like I'm in a better place. Things are happening. But then I could just still kind of feel like the Lord wasn't done yet, like, but I didn't know what he was doing. I couldn't identify it. I was like, okay, he's just doing stuff. And months before the conference, even coming to church, I just kept feeling the Lord really heavily here and just like, during service and worship, my heart was just getting like pulled. Like, I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing? 
Then he kept bringing to remembrance a lot of dreams and a lot of prophetic words that were spoken over me for the last like 10 years. And every time I would remember those words or dreams, I'd be like, God, that's really cool. Like that version of me that you see, that you say, she's really amazing, but she is not me. Like, I don't know how that could possibly happen because you're telling her she's gonna set captives free and I'm pretty enslaved right now. Like I feel like I have chains around me and I, I don't feel whole. So I don't see how you're gonna do that through me. But he just kept saying, remember, remember, bringing these things over and over again, identity, identity, this is who you are, this is who you are. So yeah, we went to the conference definitely very expectant as to what he was gonna do or say or speak, but I didn't have an agenda per se. I was just like, okay, Lord, I'm here. Like I, I wholeheartedly wanna serve you. I've left everything I know for you. And that same meeting time, the stronghold thing was what totally undid me I was there and I was like, okay, he's like, oh, search your heart, you know, ask the Lord to search and just write down in your journal or in, in your phone some things that are coming to mind that you feel are just gripping your heart still. And I was like, I think I'm okay. And then the Lord's like, <clears throat> let's check again. <laughs> I was like, okay. So then I'm writing things down and I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm kind of like hovering like this. I'm sitting next to my friends who know me and they know my junk. And I'm like, okay, I'm writing stuff down and I'm like, okay, there's a lot more there than I was expecting to see. And he calls us up for prayer to the front, and I go to the front, and I'm like, supposedly there's supposed to be people coming over to you to pray for you, but no one ever came to me. But I was like, that's fine, Lord, just me and you. Like, I'm okay, because it's kind of embarrassing anyways. Um, so I was just standing there, and I just, the best way to describe what happened, it was like the Holy Spirit went into my soul and was just searching and pulling and just tearing things out and down. And it was such a such a supernatural experience that I wish I could really articulate it, but I could feel him doing stuff and I could just feel this like fire over my body and this just lightness. I just started to feel light and I just started to feel really free. And all of a sudden it's like I had the faith to believe all the things that he had spoken about me, all the things that he had said. And all of a sudden I was like, <gasps> I can see again. It's like kind of like that. It's like I felt revived. I was like, it's like all the things he had told me were like, awake, oh sleeper, arise and shine. Like, awake, this is who you are. This is what I say. This is what I want you to do. This is you. This is your identity. Your identity isn't caught up in your trauma. It's not in your PTSD. It's not in the depression. It's not in any of the things that in my mind I thought were me. They're not me at all. Like who I am is who God says I am. And he made it perfectly clear. And I'm 125% confident of it, which is even crazy to say, because I would never even say that ever before. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's not me, but I believe it. And it's, it's amazing because I just feel free. You know, I, I feel, and I left that conference completely different and I will never be the same again. Like it's just changed my life. Yeah. Awesome. Um, thanks so much for sharing, guys. That's that's amazing. Uh, we are going to go ahead and uh, open up the scriptures together. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 2, and uh, we'll pick up there uh, in a couple minutes. Uh, just as uh, by way of reminder, we are uh, midway through a series on Isaiah and the prophets, 
And uh, you'll remember, if you've been here through the series, uh, that the prophets spoke a two-part message to the nation of Israel. Uh, And the two parts to their message were judgment and hope. If you look through all the prophetic books, this huge percentage of the Old Testament, it falls into the prophets speaking those two messages. The message of judgment spoken consistently over Israel was that they had broken the covenant that they had formed with God at Mount Sinai. They had failed to love God and others. They committed gross idolatry and injustice. And now the prophet said, you are going into exile. So, If you rewind to the start of the series, we spent a week talking about prophets and prophecy, a week on the prophet's call to repentance or turning back to God, uh, a week on revival, which rarely came to the nation of Israel because of their unresponsiveness. We spent a week on idolatry and injustice, though we lost the podcast for that one. Um, And finally, we had a week on exile, which was the ultimate judgment that God brought on Israel. They were removed from the land by the Babylonians and found themselves forced into exile in Babylon. That was their judgment. But the prophets spoke about more than judgment. They also spoke about hope. And thus, the second half of the series, starting today and continuing for the next two Sundays, will focus on hope. What was the hope that God spoke to Israel through the prophets? What was the hope he was speaking to this exiled people? And as we'll see in the coming weeks, there were at least three major dimensions to their future hope. This is what we'll focus on for the second half of the series. Uh, First, God promised a victorious king or a Messiah or an anointed one who God would send to rescue them. One single distinct figure who would bring this about. Uh, Second, he spoke to them uh, about having new hearts, being part of a new covenant, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The prophets made it really clear, hey, the old covenant isn't working. You aren't loving God and loving others. You can't just have uh, God nearby and a law to follow. You actually need God inside of you. He has to remake you from the inside out. He has to give you a new heart. You have to exist in a new reconciled relationship to him. And I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on everyone who asks for it. This will bring about the new covenant. And finally, uh, God began to speak through the prophets about their ultimate future hope, uh, an eternal age in which God would remake the heavens and the earth and resurrect his people into it. So this is what we'll focus on for the next three weeks, starting this morning with the victorious king. Throughout uh, the long, sad history of Israel, there were several figures who shined brighter than the rest. And as you read through the biblical storyline, you see these guys like, uh, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You get the prophet Moses leading the people uh, through the exodus out of Egypt. Uh, you have a King David 
uh, who, who kind of established the, the nation of Israel, the best king they had uh, from start to finish. These are kind of the legends of the Old Testament, the legends of Israel's history. Uh, but for those of you who know the story, you know that God made a covenant with King David who was the greatest king that they had experienced. And he made a covenant with King David, and he said, hey, someone's going to come from your line who will rule on a throne forever. He will rule at my right hand on a throne for eternity over the nations. He will be a victorious king, coming in glory, placed over the earth. And the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, spoke often about this victorious king. It's all over the Old Testament, including right here in Psalm 2. This is Psalm 2, verse 1. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, or his Messiah, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you lived in ancient Israel, you would have known this psalm. Odds are you would have studied this psalm. Perhaps even like many, you would have memorized this psalm. It would have weighed heavily on your heart. The Israelites lived with this hope through countless centuries of bad judges and bad kings. They lived with this hope through centuries of oppression at the hands of the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, centuries, they suffered under oppression, but they lived with this hope. One day a king will be born among us who will rule over the nations. The people waited for their Messiah. The term Messiah in Hebrew literally means anointed one. And so in the same way uh, that King David or King Solomon were anointed as the start of their kingship, uh, they waited for this anointed one who would come, uh, who would be unlike any who had come before him, who would come and, and bring the kingdom of God to earth and who would bring the nations under his rule, freeing the people of God, bringing the oppressor to account, 
and establishing a, a literal physical kingdom of God on earth. This was their hope. It was the hope that the prophets had spoken of. And year after year, century after century, the more the oppressors cracked down on Israel, the more the people were stirred to cry out for their Messiah, to cry out for this king who would come in power. For when he came, it would be the end of their oppression. He would be victorious. He would terrify the nations with his wrath. He would break them with rods of iron, he would move in power. Or would he? Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, it's just a bit past the Psalms, uh, roughly halfway through your Bible. Uh, the prophet spoke often about this Messiah, this rescuer, the victorious king who was to come. But the language that they used to describe him was rather curious. Some of the language that they used was of a powerful, conquering king, and some of it wasn't. They spoke of this king, of this son of man, of this servant of the Lord, this anointed one, but who was he going to be and what was he going to be like? Isaiah gives us stunning insight into the nature of this Messiah and what he would accomplish on earth. In fact, Isaiah describes the Messiah with such stunning detail that some have called the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel account because it speaks so clearly of the one who was to come. And I think you'll see why in just a moment. We'll pick up here, um, actually a bit before 53. So if you're looking at the start of 53, slide up the page just a couple of verses uh, to 52 verse 13. And we'll pick up there. This is Isaiah 52 verse 13. He says, See, my servant, or my anointed one, will act wisely, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so too he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, hey, he didn't have a halo. He didn't come. He came in the appearance of a regular human being. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities." Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Hundreds of years before Jesus, Isaiah wrote these words. This is what the anointed one will experience. And needless to say, this passage was not as popular as Psalm 2. The people were desperate for a military Messiah, for this uh, victorious king who would come and tread on the nations like grapes in a wine press. The one who would lift up their nation and restore it as the kingdom of God on earth. Something even greater than what King Solomon or King David had done. In fact, uh, many false messiahs came in the years leading up to Jesus and in the years following him. Many came and tried to lead the people in violent revolution against Rome. And it worked. The people got behind them. They believed in them. This is our Messiah. He will lead us to slaughter the Romans. We can at last be vindicated and set free. When the Messiah came, the Romans would lay dead in the streets. Or at least that was the thinking of many. But Isaiah saw things from a different perspective. He saw things from God's perspective. The victorious king would not come for military victory over the Romans. He would come to suffer and die. In fact, Isaiah's writings must have seemed so incongruent with the prevailing view and hope of the people, that if I were alive in that time period, I personally would have assumed that Isaiah was writing about someone else. 
there's a servant of the Lord, some random person who will suffer and die, and there is a victorious king who will lead us into victory and rule over the nations. And Isaiah is saying, no, 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 those two are one in the same. The victorious king will come to suffer for our iniquities. He will take the punishment for our sin. He will be wounded so that we can be healed. He will take on our pain. He will take on our suffering. He will be despised and mocked and beaten. In fact, he will be beaten so savagely, Isaiah says, so bloodied and marred that when you look on him, it will be hard to tell that you're looking at a human being. By oppression and judgment, he will be taken away, and no one will protest. No one will object. Not even Peter. This is the fate of the Messiah, told in advance by the prophets. And if you're in exile, or if you're out of exile, but you're back in your own land, suffering under oppression, this is the very last thing you want to hear. Here we are, suffering and dying at the hands of the Romans. And the prophet comes along and says, no, 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 don't worry. God's sending someone who will come and suffer and die. Wait, what? I'm sorry, how is that going to help me? That sounds like the very opposite of what I need right now. We are all suffering and dying. And you're going to send someone else to do the same thing. That was not a popular take on the Messiah. But notice what else Isaiah is saying. He says the Messiah won't just suffer with us in solidarity. He will actually suffer for us as a substitute. He will suffer for our sin and transgression and shortcoming and rebellion he will be wounded that we might be healed. And then he goes on. This is verse 10. Yet, Isaiah says, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Really? The, the God of love purposed the, for the Messiah to suffer and be crushed? Yes. Keep reading. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin for the sake of those he loves, he, the Messiah, will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered and died, he will see the light of life again in resurrection and be satisfied and by his knowledge my righteous one will justify many 
he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. If there is a clearer announcement of the gospel in the Old Testament, I am not aware of it. This is stunning. The Lord will send the victorious king to conquer sin and death, to justify, to forgive, to make right, to cleanse, to reconcile all those who trust in him. There are only two takeaways uh, this morning, and the first is brilliantly simple. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are made right before God because the victorious king came to take your place. And in doing so, he satisfied the greatest human need. The greatest human need is not political liberty or freedom from the Romans. It's freedom from the tyranny of Satan, sin, and death. It is deliverance from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It's freedom from the judgment and the sentence of death that hangs over all of creation. It's right relationship with God, being completely restored, ushered in, adopted, feeling completely free and uninhibited in God's presence. And the great sacrifice which Isaiah spoke of, the bearing of our sin by the suffering servant, is both how Jesus becomes the victorious king as he conquers Satan's sin and death, and simultaneously, it is how he shares that victory with us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your past is gone. Your sin is atoned for. The judgment which should have fallen on us has fallen on him. And now Jesus stands glorified, lifted up at the right hand of the Father as the anointed one, the rescuer, the true victorious king who now reigns in glory and is preparing to return in glory. The clearest picture we get of heaven's worship is at the very end of Scripture, the book of Revelation, in which John sees into the heavenly realms. He sees what is uh, happening there, and what he sees is a throne, this eternal throne that endures forever, that same throne that was set aside for this mysterious descendant of David who will rule on it forever. And, and as he looks at the throne, he says, on the throne there's a lamb 
looking as if it had been slain. And this is, this is John's vision. But if Isaiah had been there, he would have jumped to his feet. He would have said, I, I, I know who that is. I know exactly who that is. He's the one I've been writing about. He's the one who I told you was going to come. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, the victorious king ruling on the throne who would lay down his life for us. And, and, and all of this stirs heaven's worship as they gaze upon the lamb who was slain for them. This is the basis of their worship and will be the basis of ours in just a moment. But one last thing uh, I'd like to share before we close and begin to worship together, and, and it's just this. Um, as I was preparing the teaching, I really felt uh, stirred in my heart toward this idea of expectation. And this idea of managing our expectations before God and in a sense, managing our expectations of God. Because when the Israelites read all that the prophets had written, they really had to wrestle, didn't they, with who God was and how they expected God to show up and what they expected the Messiah to do when he arrived. And so many of the Israelites they missed their Messiah because they were looking for the wrong thing. They had false expectations. They were looking for a military Messiah, and they missed the suffering servant. And I think there's something in that for us this morning. Because sometimes we, I can easily speak for myself, I get caught up looking for a military Messiah. And eventually, there will come a day, whether you're looking for that or not, there will come a day when you are disappointed with God. That might be news for some of you. You will be disappointed with God. There will be a day that he disappoints you. Sooner or later, in a big way or in a small way, he will disappoint you. That prayer for healing that goes unanswered, that family member that you've witnessed to and prayed for and shared with for years who doesn't come through to Jesus. That financial blessing that you were hoping for that never shows up. Maybe you're single, and for years you, you've been praying and preparing yourself for marriage, and that future spouse you've been waiting for still isn't there. Your other friends are getting married left and right. What, God, Blessed, why is your blessing on them 
and not me. Maybe you're married, and the person that you're married to isn't quite what you were hoping for all those years of singleness. Whatever it is, no matter what the source is, all of a sudden, in a day, in a moment, in a season, over the course of years, disappointment and bitterness and frustration can set in. I wanted to see God show up in this way, in this time, in this place, and he didn't. I wanted to see Romans dead in the streets, and they're still in power, ruling over us. I wanted to see financial blessing as proof of God's love for me, and my bank account is still pretty pathetic. And we say, God, bless our country, bless our economy, bless us financially, eradicate all discomfort and suffering. God, give us the American dream. Remove everything that would oppose or resist my faith. Overthrow the Romans in the way, in the time, in the place that I desire. And yet, sometimes in those moments, if I'm honest, I'm just asking for a military Messiah. I just want God to show up my way in the time and place that I desire. And so I'm going to camp out on Psalm 2, and I'm going to cut Isaiah 53 out of my Bible. Just pretend that it's not there. Because I really love the victorious king, and I'm not so excited about the suffering servant. Sometimes we have false expectations of God, and they lead us into this place of disillusionment and frustration. But here's the flip side. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is actually way better than the military Messiah that many Jews were hoping for. It was different, it was disappointing, but it was better. Too many focused on the political freedom of their nation, and they missed Jesus. But Jesus, what he came to bring, was actually way better than the political freedom of one nation. It was humanity-wide freedom from Satan, sin, and death. It was radical love and forgiveness poured out for any who would accept it, the free gift of eternal life to anyone who would say yes to him. And, and this is the flip side of expectation management. Because sometimes I get caught looking for a military Messiah, and I need to come back and ground myself in Scripture in order to see the full picture. 
that what I'm asking of God actually isn't what God promised. My, my expectations are off. But as I come under Scripture and allow Scripture to shape me and to shape my expectations, it's actually going to challenge and expand many of the expectations of what God is capable of. I, need, I expect too much from God when it comes to a pain-free life in the American dream. And I do not expect enough of God when it comes to the inbreaking kingdom of heaven. Are you with me? This is what Isaiah 53 would have done for the original audience. It challenged the false assumptions, but it also expanded their sense of hope. It, it far beyond what it had been before. And so I can't expect a pain-free life. I cannot use my bank account as the metric of God's love for me. There are many ways of approaching God that actually set us up for disappointment and don't necessarily line up with Scripture. But as we soak ourselves in Scripture you will end up reading things that force you to wrestle with and expand your own expectations. Like when Jesus turns to his disciples and says this from the book of John. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. Really? Whoever believes in me will do the same things you've seen me doing. And they will do even greater things than these. What does that do to your expectation of God? It blows mine out of the water. And I will do whatever you ask in my name or in line with my nature, in line with what I'm doing not what you think I should do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for me anything in my name, in my nature, in line with what I'm doing, and I will do it. What do you do with that? God did not promise me the American dream. What he's promising is something far more radical. This slams against the smallness of my expectation. It forces me to grow in expectation of what God might do through me, through you, through us. You open the pages of the gospel. You open the book of Acts. You open the pages of history. And it should challenge and expand what you think is possible. As a result of being soaked in Scripture like this, as a result of witnessing some of what we've seen unfold in the last few months in the life of our church, my expectations of God are very high at the moment. He's forced me to expand my expectations. My expectation of God taking this group and forming us increasingly to the church that we see in the book of Acts is very high right now. 
my expectation that every time we gather, whether it's a Sunday or a prayer meeting or whatever else, God's going to speak to us and through us and bring beautiful prophetic words for the building up of one another, for the building up of the church. My expectation of that is through the roof right now. I expect it to happen every single time we gather, and it does. So that's God forcing me to expand my expectations to line up with who he is. But when it comes to other things within the kingdom, uh, like physical healing in Jesus' name, I'm honestly really wrestling with my expectations right now. I, I'm, I'm in flux. I'm processing my understanding of who God is and how he wants to work is being challenged. It's actually being forced to grow right now. Uh, and, and I'm honestly just in this place of process. I don't totally get it. Um, and in fact, I usually, within the inbreaking kingdom, I usually kind of avoid physical healing and praying for physical healing because of this issue of expectation, right? But a few weeks ago, I, I threw out my back, uh, and I was in terrible pain. Like, it was, it was hard to sleep. It was hard to walk. Uh, I went to the chiropractor a couple times. Nothing changed. I was, like, on ibuprofen. I was doing all of this stuff. Nothing was changing, constantly icing my back. The pain wasn't going away. Uh, and in the midst of that, I had somebody pray over me, and uh, nothing happened. Pretty cool story, right? Uh, no, no, I really like had someone uh, who I really respected and a, a man full of faith prayed over me. Nothing, uh, not, a, not a tiny bit of difference. Uh, and so for, for days, four days, five days, six days, I, I was just kind of limping around, icing, and in a lot of pain. Uh, and then I, I, again, and this was at the same conference that was referenced earlier, I had some people pray over my back uh, in this atmosphere of faith in Jesus' name. And I would, wasn't really, I hadn't actually gone forward for that prayer request, for that purpose. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't particularly filled with faith. Uh, but as they were praying over me, I felt, uh, I don't know how to describe it, like the power of God coming into my spine, actually like stretching it out and straightening it. Uh, and in a moment, I was instantaneously healed. Like I, I walked away from that prayer completely pain-free, um, and, and I've been pain-free for the last three weeks. And I've never had that happen to me in my life, ever. And I walk away from an experience like that thinking, wait a second, like, what do I do now? I mean, like, thank you, Jesus. That was amazing. Like, that, that was amazing. And I wasn't expecting it. But, but what do I do with that? Like, when, so God, when do you want to heal? And, and how will I know when I'm supposed to pray for healing? And what happens when I pray and healing doesn't happen? And, and what happens when we pray for two different people with the same condition and one is healed and one isn't? Like, what, what do I do with that? 
But you see how a lot of this is going to come back to, to expectation management, to aligning our hearts with the heart of God. And I'm totally in process. Like, I just don't get it as I stand here before you. But I want my expectation to be molded by Scripture and molded by what I experience in his kingdom community. Like, I have to stay open-handed and just say, God, I don't totally get it, but I want you to shape my expectation because I'm getting the sense that when it comes to physical healing, God's way out of front of me. Like, there's ways of, going, of charging into physical healing that are more like the military messiah where you just say, hey, if you have enough faith, you're going to be healed, like, end of story. And God's on the other side saying, I don't think that's how it works. You're, gonna, you're, you're asking for disappointment. You're asking for confusion because you've set up a military messiah and, and not the real one. The real, one's, the real one's messier. But when I go to the real one and say, God, what's your, what's your heart for this? How do I do this without confusing myself and others? The only thing I've figured out so far is that he's way out in front of me. <laughs> that his desire to physically heal people is actually way greater than my willingness to pray for them. So, so I have to submit, I have to wrestle with that. God, God, lead me in this. Shape my expectation. Challenge me, expand me in order to line up with Scripture and what I sense you doing. Sometimes my expectations are misplaced in a military Messiah, and other times my expectations are just too small. Do you see the difference? This is life with God. We have to wrestle with this stuff. We have to wade through it. We have to shift, uh, sift through our expectations. We have to shift things to line up with Scripture. And we have to deepen our expectations in the places where God is challenging us with his goodness. So we're going to head uh, to the communion tables in just a moment. Uh, and we're going to worship this victorious king together, the one uh, who's the lamb who was slain, who's currently, even now, on a throne, ruling over the universe, slowly bringing everything under his feet. We're going to worship him. Uh, but before we do, I want to pause for just a moment, and, and I want us to sit with a few questions and, and just kind of wrestle with these this morning. Um, I personally don't want to miss Jesus because I'm looking for a military Messiah. I don't want to end up frustrated because God, I'm expecting God to move in the wrong way. And I don't want to miss out on the good stuff that God wants to do, but that I am blind to or unwilling to operate in because my expectation is too small. Uh, or I'm carrying disappointment. And so um, we'll end with this. I'll go ahead and invite Annie and the others um, back up to the front. Uh, but before we open the tables, uh, I want us to just take a moment and allow God to shape us around this issue. So here are the questions that I want us to wrestle with over the next few minutes. Uh, where am I placing false expectations on God? Um, that's the military messiah. Uh, it can show up in a hundred different ways. Uh, I think often in our culture, it's more this pain-free American dream version of following Jesus, which doesn't line up with Scripture. Uh, where am I placing false expectations on God or looking for a military messiah? 
Question number two, where do I need to expand my expectations to catch up with God's goodness? That's realigning ourselves with the suffering servant who is usually way out front of us in his goodness. And finally, and I think this one's going to be key for some of you, where am I allowing past disappointment to hold me back? You will have your moments of disappointment. I promise you, you will. Especially if you're leaning in, asking for more of the kingdom of God, trying to operate in this stuff. You'll have your moments of disappointment. But you cannot allow that disappointment to paralyze you. You cannot allow that disappointment to keep you from from going to God afresh and leaning in and saying, God, in your goodness, you're way out front of me. Show me where you are. Show me where you want to expand my expectation. So we're just going to sit for a few minutes and wrestle through this. You can journal. You can write down notes on your phone. You can do whatever's going to be best for you. And we're just going to take a few minutes to do this. And then I'm going to jump up again, and I'll uh, open the communion tables. We'll continue in worship. Uh, But I'll pray for us real quick. Uh, Jesus, we uh, pray for you.